you know, this time of year, I know for so many of you, you struggle. And just from a pastor's heart, my heart struggles for you. And I wish I could just come alongside every one of you. I really do. That My heart is that I could sit down with each one of you and just tell you, God's going to give you what you need. He really will. And so, again, if you're in South County, I hope that you'll hear that message. If you're online, hear that message. That's our heart. And for you right here in this room, whatever it is, I promise you, God will make a way. And I do promise you, if you'll keep your eyes on him, He will be the one that gives you what you need. And in fact, in this teaching series, this is what we're talking about, is what we are learning, what we're discovering, is that the Christmas story is all about God's presence. That He's here. That He left heaven. The Christmas story. The the original. right? He left heaven and He came to earth so that He could be with us. So that he could dwell with us in the person of Jesus. And then in the person of Jesus, he stayed here with us physically present for 33 years. And then after those 33 years, what he said is, I need to leave so my presence can come. And his presence has come to every person who believe that Jesus is Messiah, who does believe that Jesus is Messiah, His presence has come to live inside of us. And so now we have the presence of God even to this day. 2,000 years later, guess what? God's presence is still here. He's inside of you if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And that's what we are talking about. And the whole first week of this series, we talked about the Holy Spirit. The uh, the second week, we talked about the Holy Spirit brings with Him gifts. And one of those gifts is love. He gives us, He allows us to uh, not just experience the unconditional love, but to express unconditional love. And then today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at this idea of unwrapping the gift of joy. Unwrapping this idea of the gift of joy. Now, joy looks different for um, uh, for different people, right? It's different for all of us. And in August, um, there was a study, um, or I should say, a poll that was done uh, by uh, Todd Perry, and he came up with like 20 things. We don't have time to go through all 20, but let let me just read you because this just gives you an idea of the array of what brings joy or happiness to people. the first one, number one, was a good night's sleep, right? I mean, that, that just brings some joy. And all the parents with young children said amen to that one, right? Um, a sunny blue sky, summer, uh, receiving a compliment or praise, booking a vacation, crying with laughter. And then one of them that popped up here was just uh, the child's laughter from their belly. Can you just envision? I remember that when our kids would laugh like that, right? That would bring so much joy all the way. And, you know, all the way to like the last one on here was just finding out that your kids have done well at school. So there's this whole array of different ways that people find different joy. But what I want us to notice, um, I want to bring our attention to the screens this morning. Look at the difference of the joy that different gifts bring kids.
worst Christmas present ever. A couple wrapped up a banana and gave it to their toddler, and they certainly weren't expecting this reaction. Two-year-old Aria Mojica squealed with joy. She really loves bananas and asked her mom to unpeel it right then so she could eat it. This heartwarming video has gone viral with millions of views online. Love it. So we're talking about unwrapping the gift of joy, and it looks different. It doesn't matter what it is. It's different for each one of us. But as we think about this... As we think about the kind of joy that we're talking about, I want to make sure and identify what we're not talking about. What we need to think about is the kind of joy that our world or our culture tries to tell us of how we find joy. And this isn't the type of joy that we're talking about, but our culture, our culture tells us in order to find joy, this is their roadmap, this is their, their way. They say, be true to your authentic self. Follow the desires of your heart. Be true to yourself. You do you. Now, the reason why they, they're, uh, they're, they're thinking this way, the reason why that they think that this is the way to joy is because, is because they think any type, you know, the, our culture, you know, thinks that any type of external authority oppresses joy, takes that away. Therefore, God can't bring joy because that's oppressive. Therefore, the scriptures can't bring joy because that's authority in our in, in over us. So they don't think they say. And you know what? There's a there's enough thread of a truth that in some of these that it, this these ideas kind of grab uh, you know attention in our heart, and we start going down this road. But follow the desires of your heart? How many people have been led, led to addiction because they followed the desire of their heart? How many people, you know, you do you? Really, I'm selfish. I don't know about you, right? But I'm so selfish. I think about me. I don't care about other people sometimes. That's inside of me. Is it inside of you? And if I just did me... No, you see, we have to bring ourselves under authority, under the authority of who God is and the authority of the scriptures in our life so that we can find real joy. Now, there are some people that are just like a little bit too happy too, right? I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of happy because happy people are wonderful, right? But they can be exhausting. Have you ever worked with one of those people like this? Everything is... But... We're talking about joyful people. The joyful people can be exhilarating, right? They can be encouraging. And it doesn't mean that they are, have a smile plastered all over their face 24-7. It just means the way they carry themselves. There's a contentment, a peacefulness about them. Not this. What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? <laughs> I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. Time for the announcement. 
Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Right? I'm not talking about that person. I'm not saying that you show up to, be, to your office like that. That's not the joy-filled person that we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because of His presence in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We talked about that last week. This week, joy. It's, it brings a joy to us. We, we need to for, have a, a biblical framework of joy. And there is an organization called the Bible Project. The Bible Project does a great job. They, they articulate it so well, and they go from Genesis all the way to the time of Jesus. I want you to watch this. It's going to be a couple of minutes. But it gives us a great framework of what we mean when we talk about biblical joy. So take a watch. Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. 
He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. And it's that kind of joy that we want to talk about, we want to explore uh, this morning. And I know there was a lot there, so I hope that you, you know, had your pencils out and you were taking stuff down. Here's what I want us to do. Um, we, I want us to walk away with this idea that living a joy-filled life doesn't imply an absence of deep sorrow. Instead, it means not remaining trapped in that sorrow having the ability to envision a future filled with joy where Jesus brings about the restoration of all things. See, this is biblical joy. It doesn't mean that you don't process those emotions and feelings of sorrow. Of course we do. We'll talk about that in a second. In fact, just grab your Bibles. Let's go there right now. Time's running out. John, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Uh, we um, are talking about joy. We're, we're going to pick up about halfway through the chapter. Understand that the chapter starts out with Jesus looking at them, telling them, you're going to have sorrow. You're going to have pain. You're going to have hurt. And I'm telling you this ahead of time so that when it happens, you'll believe. Now, and then he tells them, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going, to, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to come back, you're going to see me again, and then I'm going to leave. And they're like all confused about this. So much so that they're whispering to each other this, that very idea. So watch what happens when we pick it up in verse number 19. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. Uh, one, let me just stop and say this. Jesus already knows your questions. He knows what you're wrestling with, so why not just ask him? Jesus invites us to ask them. And they were struggling. They couldn't get this out, so he helps them. He knew this about them, and he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you'll not see me. Again, in a little while, you'll see me. And Jesus says this. Like, Remember, we talked about this before. Truly, I tell you, that's like 100%. That's like saying legit, right? He's saying this is really true. You will weep 100%. You're going to weep and mourn. And the world's going to rejoice. 
There's going to be this happiness in the, our, in, in the culture of rejoicing. Why? Specifically in context because Jesus is talking about his death. They're ta- he's talking about his torture, his being nailed to the cross. This is what he's talking about. And, and, and the world's rejoicing because the religious world thinks, all right, we finally shut that one up. But notice what he says. He, says, he comes back in. He says, you will become sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn to joy because on the third day, I'm not going to stay in the grave. On the third day, there's going to be resurrection. On the third day, there's going to be restoration. On the third day, there's going to be reconciliation. So your sorrow can turn to joy. And the same thing is true in your life. This is the biblical principle of joy. There's this tension of sorrow and joy in our lives. All of us are going to struggle. All of us are going to go through difficult times, hard times, sorrow that's going to weigh us down. But you don't have to be trapped inside of there because your third day is coming. It may be three months, it may be three years, or it may be 33 years, or it may be on the other side when you actually get to heaven. But you can count on it, you can have faith. And, and you can trust that Jesus at some point is going to turn that. He's going to make everything right. He's going to reconcile it. This is the biblical view of joy. Do you have this kind of view about sorrow and joy? So what Jesus does next is he shares with them this image, this Illustration. He says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. I've, I've been there for four times, right? I've been, I remember the first time. Right, it was Ashley. Ashley, man, I mean, you talking about pain, I've never seen my wife. I mean, there is like, she is white as a ghost. She is like, ugh, right? And she's like, and you know what? I'm feeling her pain. In fact, I almost passed out. The nurses leave my wife. They come over to me and they're like, are you okay, Mr. Moore? Here, why don't we help you? Right? Uh, and, and they sat me down. They were like, do you need orange juice? Mr. Moore, take a rest. My wife's the one in pain, right? But you know what? That didn't stop us. I ended up in that opera, or in that uh, OB room, you know, th- three other times. One of them, just 19 months later, it was Ashley, and then 19 months later, come, uh, along comes Ryan. Two years later, along comes Jonathan, and we're like, Phew, we're done, <laughs> right? And then shocker, four years later, comes along Katie May. But even though. Jesus is like, even though, here's this analogy, here's this illustration, even though all the pain that creates in the body, there's so much joy. And the same thing is true in our lives. As we go through sorrow, pain, and hurt, we have to look for joy. That Jesus will make it right. You say, there's no way that my situation will ever be made right. Maybe you're correct in saying that on this side. But... If you're a Christ follower, you have the promise that everything will be reconciled on the other side with Jesus. You may not see it this side, but you can hold on to this promise. It will be made right. 
when Jesus comes along. And this really is the Christmas story. The Christmas story, we like to sing the song, Silent Night. All, you know, was calm. It's so peaceful. Right? We sing the, the, the lights or the stars are brightly shining. Right? But not really. Not for the people who were going through it. Think about it. Think about Mary and Joseph. Uh, she being a teenager. And they're not married yet. And they live in an honor-shame culture. And all that they would have to, uh, you know, put up with. All the, all the looks. All the ousting, right? All, you know, all the, ru- the rumor mill that's happening. And then think about when, when uh, Jesus is like two years old, think about that they have to go on the run for their life. So he's somewhere in toddler age, and he ha- they, they have to become refugees. Mary and Joseph, the, sto- the Christmas story, they become refugees. They go to Egypt because Herod wants to kill all the toddler age babies. And they, they hide out in Egypt until it's safe to come back home. I mean, there's so much pain. There, it, what was going on in the world was the, the, there was a great oppression that was happening. People were being forced about taxes. We think we get taxed. They got taxed huge. They had to go back to their uh, original city where they were born. Right? There's a census taking place. Why? For the taxes. They want to know how much we can tax you more. How much more can we get out of you? But there is that night when Jesus or when the angel shows up to announce, listen to this, to those to those shepherds in the same region. Shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. That, you, that, that will be for all people, not just Jewish people, for all people. And I think this is important to point out. This message is coming to the shepherds. In the religious world, they were the outcasts. Do you, do you realize shepherds were never allowed into the synagogue or the temple? Because they would always be unclean, unclean. But here Jesus chooses He chooses to announce this great news, this good news that will bring great joy to all people. And he uses the outcast of their day to do it because that's the kind of God that we have. This was not, being a shepherd was not something you aspired to that one day you hope, I hope I grow up and be a shepherd. No, that's not what you had hoped. And yet Jesus uses them. And he wants to use you. And he wants you to understand there is, there is great joy for you. If, watch, today in the city of David, a Savior is born for you. Who is the Messiah? Is, see, the, this is for you, for us, here in 2023. Do you know Jesus as Messiah? A Savior? See, that's where the joy starts. Now, back in our text, in John 16, in verse 22, it says, So you also have sorrowed now, but, and again, these are Jesus' words, talking to the disciples, but I will see you again, 
your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. No one can take the joy away from you. No one can take this kind of joy away from you. Why? Because it's not dependent upon your circumstances. It's a contentment in your soul. Because why? Because remember last week in John 15, we talked a little bit about this. It says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. That's, so the Holy Spirit can be in you to produce my kind of joy, right? So I'm leaving. Then remember, that's the context. Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving so that my joy may be in you through the Holy Spirit and that your joy may be complete. See, the kind of, holy, uh, the, the kind of joy that the Holy Spirit brings is complete. You don't need to search for it anywhere else. The satisfaction in your soul, this contentment in you, this trust that Jesus really will make all things right someday. That can be your joy. So how, how do we keep a joyful perspective in the middle of our sorrow? First, we need to learn to grieve well. You need to grieve. See, having biblical joy doesn't mean you don't weep, that your heart's not broken. It doesn't mean uh, that you shut down and that you're quiet and you pretend like nothing's happening. We need to learn to grieve well. As Christ followers, you, you and I need to create a theology or have a theology from the scriptures of grieving well. The Psalms are a great example. There's a whole, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a, a book called Lamentations. That's the lament, right? There's all this lament. There's all this people expressing their sorrow. For some of you, you may need to write it out. For some of you, you just need to talk out your grief. Um, for some of you, you, you need to um, do all these, you know, talk it out, write it out. You need to talk to God about it. Express your anger. Read some of the Psalms. Some of the times the psalmist is so angry. And he's like, God, where in the world are you? Don't you see what's happening down here? Don't you see what's happening to me? You need, that's grieving well. See, our grief doesn't always have to look like tears streaming down. Sometimes our grief is anger. And you need to be able to process that with God, with others. Sometimes we need to uh, find some professional help to ask us good questions. A good therapist, a good counselor who are able to ask us some questions that we can wrestle with and really contemplate about why, why do I feel like this? But we, we all, how, how do we keep a joyful perspective in the middle of our sorrow? Grieve well and Secondly, remind yourself of who Jesus is. You have to remind yourself. You, can, you cannot let go of the promises of God. That He has promised to walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. So that you don't have to fear. He has promised you. He has promised to show up and be with you. He has promised to reconcile and make everything right in the end. You and I just need to trust that what Jesus says, that He'll really do. And as we can allow that to be an anchor for our soul, that will bring a contentment. It will bring a joy uh, to you as well. Look what Peter says. Peter said this. 
Peter, he's talking to a bunch of people who are going through a very difficult time. Like some of them are on the run for their life. And he says, though you have not seen him, meaning Jesus, you love him, meaning Jesus. Though not seeing Jesus now, you believe in Jesus. And then he says this, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Even though they're on the run, even though their businesses are being taken away or they're going flat, you know, they still can have this inexpressible joy that only comes because of where they have placed their faith. He gives us a peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And it's that, in your grief, in your sorrow, it's that, that's what will guard your hearts. And that's what will guard your mind. And as we think about the Christmas story with Mary, we think about her, she says, as she thinks about all that's happening to her, she comes to this conclusion, my, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. <coughs> Living a joy-filled life doesn't imply an absence of deep sorrow. Instead, it means not remaining trapped in that sorrow, but having the ability to envision a future filled with joy, where Jesus brings about the restoration of all things. This is what we're calling you to today. The first step in discovering and unwrapping this joy is this. You need to acknowledge your need for a Savior. This is where it starts. You, you have to place your faith in the person of Jesus as Messiah. Step number one. So there's a connection card in the chair in front of you. I'm asking you to pull that out right now. Pull that out. Look at that. And on the back side of it, there's three next steps. <clears throat> Maybe one of the three next steps that uh, I'm sharing with you this morning may not be for you. That's okay. And maybe God showed you another step. But we all have a next step. Here's the first one that I'm suggesting. Or for those of you that don't have Jesus as Savior. That you, that you unwrap this gift. I need to unwrap the gift of joy found only in Jesus as my Savior. I acknowledge my need for a Savior. Circle step number one. Put your name on the front. And then we want to pray for you. The ne- uh, Step number two says this. I'm... I'm experiencing a lot of pain right now and need to find a biblical joy like we've talked about this morning. Pray I can discover this joy and trust Jesus for it. This is step number two. So circle step number two. Um, put your name on that connection card and share with us um, as much as you're comfortable with about how, you know, what's the pain, what's the suffering that you're going through so that we can pray in a more specific way uh, for you this coming week. And then the last one says this, I want to model the gift of joy in order to bless other people, even through my difficult times. You see, that's like Mary's perspective. She, 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 you know, she blessed. How many people, how many other moms in her time was she able to bless when they were going through difficult times? She's like, oh, I know what you're going. Let me come around. Let me pray for you. But you know what? Our hope is in God. One day he's going to make it all right so we can have joy. Maybe God can use you in your school. He can use you. Students, listen. He can use you in your school. He can use you in your peer group. He can use you, mom and dad, in your workspace. Grandpa and grandma, in the space that you travel in, he can use you to bless other people as you go through difficulties. You can actually use him to bless others. And so, Father, 
I pray for our church. I'm asking that in our church that there would be people who have discovered biblical joy and that this biblical joy would totally and radically change the people around them. God, that they would be able to share the story, how they can have a contentment even though they're going through one of the worst things in their life. Jesus, please. Holy Spirit, we know we can't do this in and of ourselves. We need your help. So will you come? Will you help us? Holy Spirit, take over. Give us this kind of joy. We depend upon you. Thank you for what you're going to do today. Thank you for what you're going to do in South County. Thank you for what you're going to do with those who have joined us online. And thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do with those gathered here in this room. And we're trusting you. And Jesus, we pray this in your name.